Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Bev Joy Ehrlich. She is a relationship coach. Bev, how are you doing? Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. How's your day going? I'm good, thanks, Brad. Lovely to be here with you. I always enjoy chatting to you. It's finally nice to have you here. We've been trying to get this done for a little while. I've had things that have come up. Life has gotten in the way. So I'm very, very happy to finally have you here and to be able to have this opportunity to sit down and chat with you. So let's jump right in. Now, Bev, I'm curious, how long have you been a relationship coach? About three years. Well, the relationship part, about two years, really. And so as a relationship coach, do you focus on any specific type of relationship in your work or do you help people with all types of relationships, romantic, familial, friendships? So most of the people who come to me are having more couple relationship challenges. But what I'm finding is that any relationship comes to me. In other words, the most at the moment are parents having challenges with their adult children. Oh. Yeah. And that's the coupling that I'm finding. I bring them both in. And once they're both in, then there's so much more of an open heartedness to hear. Right. Now, I've heard a lot of people say that most, if not all coaches have been through their own personal struggles and journeys. And I mean, before making the leap into coaching, I mean, we've all had our own shit to deal with and personal journeys as humans. But what I have found through a lot of the conversations that for most of the women I'm speaking with who are now coaches, their personal struggles or journeys were the catalyst for them getting into coaching. Can you share a little bit about your personal journey into coaching? Right. So the personal part really came in, the piece really came in for the relationship coaching, which now that I think about it, actually started about four years ago. But I was a coach before that, helping people accomplish dreams. And that was just kind of a personal piece of mine that I wanted to help people accomplish their dreams. And what I noticed was we really need other people on board to help and support us. What the catalyst to get me into the relationship piece and and sharpen that and focus on that was when my husband himself suffered from depression the same year that both my parents passed away. When he was recovering, I kind of took him to couples counselor and I found I was kind of, here's my problem. Can you fix him? And they would turn to him and say, yeah, man, what's your problem? And I would immediately leave the session crying and feeling unheard. And I couldn't kind of work out what was going on. After all, I brought my problem into therapy. They were willing to look at my problem and I was miserable until I stumbled upon the work that I do today, which is relational life coach led by Terry Real, who is a famous and well-known family therapist. 
And what transpired when we found the help that we really needed was that the therapist began to point out that we were a team. It wasn't, he's the problem and I'm absolutely fine. It was more, you're so grandiose, Beverly, you need to come down and you need to, <laughs> <laughs> you need to see the person you're in this relationship with, the team you're in, but you're looking down your nose. And as we all know, intimacy demands democracy. Yeah. You can't be in a relationship when there's one up or one down. And he was in a one down position because of what he was going through. And I was in a one up and we were just missing each other. And then through that wonderful help, we began our own journey of relational recovery. And that was our story, you know, very quickly, you know, we'd been married 30 years plus and very quickly when he became ill, I was like ready to chuck everything out the window and I'd forgotten all the grace and all the great things that he'd given our relationship and our family and our children. And that was all re-brought back to us, you know, that you're in a challenging position, but together you guys can heal. And that was so refreshing and so wonderful. And it was so wonderful for me to be called out, you know, that you need to come down a little bit and get off your entitled pedestal and step into the relationship. Was that hard for you to hear, Bev? It was wonderful. With so many grandiose women and shut down men, that it was actually wonderful to hear somebody taking me on and being honest with me and saying, this is what I'm seeing. And, oh, I have a part in this. Okay, that I can handle. And I'm I'm good to go. And I put up my shirt sleeves and folded them back and said, yeah, let's do this. That's beautiful and so powerful. <laughs> How have these experiences then helped shape the Bev you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? So from that personal experience, just with him, it's helped me learn how to be more relational with with other people, with my own children, with a, a broader environment outside my family, colleagues, friends, just to sometimes take that pause and say, what's my part in this, in this challenging relationship, in this struggle? How can I help improve whatever's going on? So that insight that we don't do things on our own. You can't be in a relationship as a one-man show. You can live right. in a cave by yourself, but you can't be relational. You can be either or. That was very insightful and powerful for me. Yeah. Beautiful. And so what is it then, would you say, that sets you and the work you do apart from other relationship coaches? Why mm. would they choose to work with you over someone else? Okay. So the follow-up to what I was telling you, the feminist world has really taught women that whatever men can do, we can do. We've kind of crossed a line, right? And we can have short hair, we can wear pants, whatever. What it failed to do, in my opinion, was teach that relational piece. Hey, I'm going to work a full day. You're going to work a full day. When we meet at the end of the day, we meet eye to eye. How are we going to manage this life together? It's not about just me or just about you. That's kind of like a scarcity perspective that there isn't enough and I need to do as much as I can for myself and empower myself. You worry about yourself. And that also feeds a lot into patriarchy, which doesn't allow men to be vulnerable and share their challenges and what's difficult for them. Very true. What, in your opinion, is one of the most important qualities or skill sets in a relationship coach? I would say it's the ability to have compassion and honesty at the same time. Like this therapist that we met, this RLT therapist that we worked with, she was able to speak to me in a way that was compassionate, but at the same time, very honest. 
And to me, that is skill number one. Being able to call people out on their shit. <laughs> exactly. Be able to say, this is how I see it. You know, if you're feeling uncomfortable in the room, Terry Real always says, whatever you'd say to your colleagues at the cooler afterwards about your awful clients, yeah. you need to say it to them. Wow. You need to say it kindly. Yes, now, yes. I remember that. For sure. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the coaching industry in general. Currently, I've had multiple conversations with many women who work in the industry as coaches, and some of them don't even like using the word coach. They refuse to use it because of the bad rep that the coaching industry is getting. They prefer to use guide or mentor. What are your thoughts on how the industry has evolved? Right. I think coaching is very powerful. I think the difference and why I really do like the word coaching, I sometimes will say to a client, I want to just do some micro coaching with you is, and this is possibly different from therapy. It's not just telling them, ah, this is what you're doing. That's not getting you what you want. This is like a losing strategy. This is what you should do to get what you want. So I see the coaching as a teaching piece. Like, it's not just telling them, oh, I see why you're not getting what you want. Go figure it out yourself. No, here's a skill, here's a tool that can help you get what you want, which is usually connectedness and closeness back to your partner, the repair. What are some of the benefits of working with a relationship coach? The benefits are that, let's say two people, a couple, they could be stuck. And all you're doing is by bringing in a therapist or a coach, you're bringing in an extra resource. Three heads are better at finding a solution than two heads in everything. You're always, whenever you bring in extra resources, you'll be more creative and you'll be able to find solutions more easily because we don't do anything by ourselves. That's right. And we're not meant to do anything by ourselves. We're no. meant to, I mean, look at entrepreneurship. You cannot do it by yourself. You have to surround yourself with community and like-minded people in a support system. And I think we've lost sight of community and how important it is. So we need to get back to that and we need to realize that we cannot do this alone. No, Life or entrepreneurship. Without a guest. I can't get onto a podcast without an interviewer. <laughs> there you go. A perfect simple. example. It's so simple. <laughs> it is. It truly is. In your experience as a relationship coach, Bev, what would you say are three of the biggest challenges that couples are facing? Mm -hmm. I would say that couples are facing, we're not taught the skills of relationship. We come very often poorly prepared in our adult lives. And we come very often, as we bring a much younger part of ourselves to the relationship. In other words, what I call the adaptive child part, the part that adapted to what was going on for us as a young child. So for instance, if I had a very intrusive mother, I might in my adult relationship lie. I might be a love avoidant. So I bring that into the relationship and I don't know where it's come from. And I don't know what I don't know. And right. that's where people get stuck when they don't bring that extra resource in that can look from the outside in. So couples will think, they'll come to me, I'm on the brink of, of ending this. I'm on the brink of divorce or ending this. And they don't know that there are so many skills that they just don't know about in terms of their communication. Maybe I can give you an example of just one. Sure. It's so easy to complain. You never, you always. And underneath each complaint, every complaint is actually a request. I'd really like you to take the garbage out every night by nine o'clock. You might not get everything you request, 
But at least your partner knows what the request is. And they very often want to give it to you. Why? Da, da, da. I <laughs> love you. Why? Yeah. Because they live with you. <laughs> they want the harmony. So, but they just don't know. And we often expect our partners to mind read because you should really know my mind if you loved me. But they don't because we're not married to ourselves. What lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do? I would say when I see people coming back into connectedness, when I see that they go out instead of most couples come in, you know, if you just had a magic wand and you could fix my partner, everything would be wonderful. When they take ownership and they walk out and say, wow, I tried this little skill that you shared and it worked like magic. It worked like a charm. And I felt so much better for behaving that way. Now, on the flip side of that, what is one of the most difficult parts of your job? For me, it's a client who hasn't the ability to see their their agency. They remain in a victim position. They bring a very young part of them into the therapy sessions where they were always victimized. Nobody loves them. They can't do anything right. That's where I really need a call on a lot of compassion <laughs> to help nurture and, and, and move that person into to taking on their adult role. What would you say are a couple of tips or takeaways that listeners can implement for managing conflict in their relationships that you could provide? Okay, so one is, and I might bring this up at the end as well, to, to always remember compassion, number one, when speaking to your partner. And I'm going to hone that down now into, some, an, into a realistic tip. When you go to the customer service counter and you have a problem with your microwave, let's say, Mm -hmm. you don't go and say, you know, I have a problem with my microwave. And the girl behind the counter, the man behind the counter says, you think you've got a problem? You know, I've got a problem with my toaster. (laughs) I love it. That is brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, it's a metaphor for how arguments often go. You did this and I did it. Oh, well, you did that. Yeah. Those kind of communications are not meant to be two-way. It's not your time to say. It's your time. When your partner comes with some upset, it's your time to to listen and say at the end, wow, I hear you're upset. What can I do right now? And you might get, well, you never, no, but I I can't fix what I haven't done, but I can do something now for you that could make you feel better if you will allow. And then that's also transmission reception work where your partner very often, especially women, will come in and say, I really would like my husband to be more X, Y, and Z. And then when they get that, they don't know how to receive it. And I understand they've been getting, they've been on the receiving end of a lot of shit for a long time, right? So they're not just going to believe him. Now he's turned around. But we do have to give our partners the benefit of the doubt. And we do have to understand we cannot be relational and protected at the same time. We do have to open up, become vulnerable, and try again if we want this relationship to succeed. Beautiful advice. Thank you very much for that, Bev. That's a really interesting way to look at things, especially the the conversation and the example you shared about coming in with your microwave and then the person talks about their toes. That is so important because a lot of stuff that happens in my relationship too. So I'm sure it happens in a lot of relationships. It happens because especially we're taught that I can say whatever I want in my relationship. I can just let rip. And that's not true. 
I need to think about the impact of my words. So I can say I'm really upset because blah, blah, blah. And then my partner can say, well, how can I make it better now? And then you can reverse roles and say, okay, I'm feeling so much better now. Now tell me what's your gripe today? Right. What's your gripe? So it's not like you'll never get your chance to say, but it's not about just letting rip an unbridled self-expression. That's hard to do, though, when you're in the heat, if it is elevated or escalated, because emotions are heated and whatnot. So it's very Mm -hmm. hard to stand back and say, okay, let's look at this logically. I'll listen to you, you share yours, and then let's flip it around and you can listen to mine. Right. So you're right. It's so, and that's such a good point. When we trigger, the last thing we want to do is now, what did Beverly say we need to do? (laughs) And some people say to me, some of the tools you give just don't seem natural. But hey, how is the natural way working out for us? So these are practices where it's not just in the heat of the moment. I might come to my partner at the end of the day and say, are you available to hear something that I want to share with you that really upset me today? Yeah. It might not be in the heat of the moment. Or I might need to take a timeout and a timeout is a responsible timeout it's not i'm walking out the door and you'll never see me again it's i am feeling triggered and i'm going to say something that i'm going to regret i'm going away now for 20 minutes for a day whatever it is but and i commit to coming back right a commitment to coming back i need my space now i'm going for two hours to my room going for a walk please do not follow me because some partners feel abandoned at that moment. But to say, I will be back. And then to follow up on that, to come back yeah. and say, look, I've had two hours, but you know what? I'm still feeling really angry. I'm going to take another hour or two and I will be back. And then to follow up and come back. Yeah. But to have the self-awareness to be able to do that, that you're right. I mean, that's logically the best thing to do is just say, okay, you know what? We're not getting anywhere right now. We're both elevated, escalated. One of us, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to go for a walk for an hour. I'll be back. And then we'll discuss when we come back. That's still, it takes a lot of, as you said, practice to put these things into motion and into working. It does. But firstly, having made them aware, like just you and I having this conversation, you might think about it the next time you find yourself in a triggered position. And then the other part of that is to hold yourself compassionately for your human flaws. We are only human. So of course we fall off. On a bad day, my husband and I look as ugly as anybody else. However, because we've done this work together, we come back to the repair much quicker. So instead of it being, right, I'm going to bed in a half and then he falls asleep and I'm mad and I'm going to wake him up the whole night. And then we go off the next day and he's a physician. So now we teach everybody else how to live a wonderful life, but we're actually fighting for five days. The repair can be made much more quickly. Hey, is this how you want to spend the night? Okay, no. So tell me what's really bothering you. So we can, we can end this and we can rather enjoy each other's time. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's very important to remind people that this does take practice. It's not going to happen overnight. You mm-hmm. have to put these things into practice in your relationship. And it's going to take time to get used to those practices and put them into use. Absolutely. And to remember why the big picture, why am I doing this? Because I love you, because we live together. 
if you don't remember the big picture, maybe the big picture isn't important enough anymore. You can think about it. Your relationship is like your biosphere. You live in it. It's like your house, let's say. Yeah. So I can scream and shout and my partner can withdraw and punish me, right? That's like right. throwing garbage into our living room. He throws garbage, I throw garbage until there's no more space for us to live comfortably in the living room. So we move out to other rooms and then we move out completely. So we want to make sure that we keep our living space clean. That's full respect living that we want to do. We want to try and clean it up every now and again. So it doesn't get too overwhelming and too messy. And we forget, oh, but I love you. You're not my enemy. I love that analogy of the garbage in the living room. That's a beautiful analogy. And it, it explains it perfectly. I think that was Thomas Hubel. <laughs> now, I've seen many people speaking about all of this. I've seen many people around me and people I've come in contact with and you hear about it quite frequently. It would seem that divorce is becoming more and more common. Now, in your opinion, as a relationship coach, what would you say is one of the main causes and why do you think this is happening more and more in today's society? I would say some of it is to do with that concept, with that feminist concept of women can be self-empowered. I don't need okay. you. And rather than being relationally empowered, I do need you. You need me. Yes, I can do what you can do. And how are we going to manage this life together? We have children. We have challenges. We have stress. So I think above the self-empowerment, it's really to remember that it's relational empowerment. That's the one thing. The other thing is that we're all conditioned into this idea of patriarchy, which we all say that we divide people into two. We all divide it into male and female attributes, where the male attributes are strong and independent and the female are emotional, vulnerable. What we really want is those parts of us that we all have, of female, male, to both be equally valued, which they're not, right? The male right. attributes are, I shouldn't say male, I should say masculine and feminine attributes are more valued in reality to be independent and strong, right? right? What we really want is to have a full human being which has vulnerability and strengths and emotions and can love. So men are also part, are also victims, if you like, of, of patriarchy and that they're taught they can lust and be angry. Yeah. There's nothing else. There's no, I can be vulnerable, I can be sad. And just as women are taught, you need to be strong and stand up and stand up to your man. And yeah, you do need all that. You need to do it lovingly. Women need to also learn how to stand up for their rights lovingly. Yeah. Aggressively. Well, this all speaks to that bullshit conditioning, the social conditioning, the parental mm -hmm. condition, all of these things. And, you know, I love that you said human beings because we've been dealing with this masculine versus feminine bullshit. I mean, men have feminine qualities within them and women have masculine qualities, period. We are human beings. And the sooner we realize, I think, that we need to come together as human beings and no more of this masculine versus feminine shit. We just need to come together as human beings and support one another and lift each other, the better off the world will be. Because we've been caught in this masculine versus feminine shit for so long. And it happens from a very young age, you know, like yeah. boys are pushed off to kindergarten and 
separate from mom. And we taught that very early. Well, boys are, are raised to stop being emotional, stop crying like a girl and all of this other shit that we're conditioned as we're growing up. That right. needs to shift. We need to let our boys know that, you know what, it's okay to be emotional. You are a human being. You have emotions. That's just part of your DNA. That's part of your makeup. That's okay. And women are told, sit over there and be quiet. Don't say anything. Just look pretty. And all of this shit needs to change. We need to change the way we're raising our children because that will then in turn, they will turn into more complete and whole human beings. Right. And that is what's happening is that women are coming and saying, I'm living with this man. He seems so shut down. I can't get to his emotions. And it's not that we want women's standards to go down. No. We want to be raising boys who can step up to that and be more emotional and be more vulnerable because women are wanting our relationships to last longer into the 80s, 90s, long walks on the beach, holding hands, deep conversations. And we want to raise our boys to provide that as well, rather than bringing women's standards down. We Absolutely. want to raise emotional, vulnerable, whole boys. But then on the other side of that, you also hear a lot of women say they don't want men that are emotional and vulnerable. And so it's it's this balancing act of, I think that we do need to raise our boys to know that it's okay to have emotions and to show your emotions and to be vulnerable and to share those. You're a human being. You can't shut that. Well, Sorry, I shouldn't say you can't because boys do and men do, but we shouldn't be shutting down that part of ourselves because that's closing a piece of you off. That's that's shutting a piece of you down. You're not whole as a human being. Right. So you're right. You there are women who don't want men to be too emotional, just like there possibly are men who don't want women to be too fragile or right. too strong. I would like to think of those as individual challenges that I would see not as a whole, because there are right. women who love the, the softness and the tenderness of men. Right. And there are men who love that independence of women. So yeah. I would, I'd like to keep that as an this is your, the individual challenge that comes into my space rather than this is a general statement. Thank you for pointing that out, Bev. What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Who else wants to be a relational coach? I would say you you need to... Look at yourself and how you show up in relationship. I do know some people who do the work who are not very successful in their personal relationships. And that's always very interesting to me. I'm not sure how one could do the work if you're not living in relationship. I think that's very important for the two to be married, the reality of your life and what you want to share and serve. Bev, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think the fact that I do live in relationship and that I, I do have challenges and that my husband and I can look at them together as well as, and this is so important, I invest a lot of money in learning from people who I see who teach this work at an incredible level, who enrich me, who supervise me. But of going on to my superpower, so, so that's number one is I live in relationship. I acknowledge that. Number two, that I invest money in learning and trying to improve my skill. And number three is that I think I'm a pretty connected person um, and grounded to the relationship piece in life. Personal development is very important. I mean, we don't invest. A lot of us don't invest in ourselves, and we need mm -hmm. to start doing more of that so that we can grow and expand, which then, of course, when we do that, it trickles out, and 
that ripple effect of what we're investing into ourselves then ripples out to others. Absolutely. Just today, I ordered a new book. A new book arrived. A woman that was just recently introduced to me by a colleague. And it's like, wow, I started listening to it as an audio. And I thought, now I want to have this book on my on my desk all the time. <laughs> so clearly. And so I'm open to learning new things all the time. We have to be, absolutely. Because we're always evolving and growing as human beings. And that journey is never done. We're always going to continue right. to evolve all the way through life. And the work isn't, you know, I'm not working with numbers. I'm not working with objective reality. So I have to go with the flow of what presents itself in front of me. Now, speaking of success, Bev, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? What does the word success mean to me? Yes, I've thought about that a lot. I think if I gave a knee-jerk reaction, for me personally, I would say, you know, if I could say, oh, this is how much I earn, and that would be success. In my heart, I know that I am successful when I see clients, number one, finish with me, go off into the world knowing that they can work on their relationships now, they can do the repair, they can get satisfaction and meaning out of their relationships because of the work that we've done. That to me is success when they move on. Beautiful. When we can say, we seem to be done now. For this challenge, it might be they'll come back in six months' time. That's okay. Yeah. That's not a failure. But when they've, they've achieved this, they came in for this and they've achieved that. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Mm -hmm. The most important thing I learned, I would say, is to be modest in my relationship. I would say there were so many years that I spent being disdainful, possibly. I'm better than, and yet knowing in my husband's case that as he's so different from me he's, he's probably one of my best teachers of life in fact yeah we were just talking about that two days ago he did something uh -huh. you know I said to him gosh that's actually quite that's so enriching and I actually teared up as I said this to him he did something with one of his patients and I was saying wow that was really beautiful that you did that I think that's that I wouldn't have noticed that beforehand yeah Okay. Before we did the work. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I would say it's probably my husband. He's been an incredible support in this journey. He really comes with, if we look superficially at the two of us on paper, we have almost identical backgrounds. Our parents both followed the same path. We're both South Africans. Same, same, same. And I was often very confused because of that in, within the relationship. And as we've done work, I've seen the nuance and that nuance is so enriching to me that he just sees the world sometimes so differently from me. And instead of making me annoyed, it gives me pause to think maybe there can be. And I think that enriches my work, that, yeah, there can be another way. Beautiful. What does the word empowerment mean to you, Bev? Empowerment means where I can stand up kindly and compassionately for myself and speak up for myself. Love it. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I think the practice, I have, my husband and I have a gratitude practice every day at the end of the day. And just sharing a few things that we're grateful for at the end of each day has really within my day, I've noticed so many blessings. And I think just that little practice has expanded that view that something will happen in the day. And I think, wow, I would have uh, overlooked that beforehand. And that actually is a blessing. 
That's really important, that practice of gratitude and speaking aloud what you're grateful for, speaking it out into the universe, bringing that awareness around that. Yeah. Because we do, we have so much to be grateful for in this life. We do. What is the most recent investment you've made in yourself? So the most recent financial investment is doing this work. I'm in a two-year program studying with Terry Real closely with Terry Real and his team um, and the RLT team. And it's been a complete eye-opener. Beautiful. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid-fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four-word answer type thing, okay? How would you describe yourself in one word? Joyful. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Beware. Honesty. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? A full coaching practice. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Mm, I think compassion. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? Connectedness. What is your favorite self-care practice? Maybe Pilates. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What is one thing that you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? I'm not afraid of connecting with people. How do you celebrate your wins, Bev? Sometimes through self-talk. Just actually saying to myself, wow, you did good. But you do celebrate them because I find that that's another thing that we as humans don't tend to do very often. We don't because we're so busy crossing all the things off the to-do list that we just, once we finish that list, it's like, okay, on to the next, on to the next. We don't take the time to slow down and celebrate our wins, no matter how big or small they are. Right. Yeah. If I do take the time to notice and acknowledge, which my gratitude practice helps me, okay. but I probably miss some things, but it's really saying things like, my self-talk, because that can also be quite negative at times. So it's nice right. to give myself a compliment. <laughs> Absolutely. That mirror, even mirror work, telling yourself that you love yourself in the mirror mm -hmm. every morning. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? We only see the tip of an iceberg and we make up a lot of a, a long story about why people did things and why they did things to us. And I would say being curious. Just pause that and be curious and ask rather than going off into a story and thinking you know why somebody did something. Yeah, because we never know what someone's going through or why they do what they do. And curiosity yeah. is, is key for sure. What challenge in your life, Bev, has shaped you the most, would you say? I think the challenge of going through my husband's depression. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Mm -hmm. I thought about my namesake. I have a Hebrew name. I'm born Jewish. I am Jewish. And my Hebrew name is Batya, who was the daughter of Pharaoh, who saved Moses in the bulrushes in the Nile River. And I thought about some of her qualities. And here she was, supposedly the daughter of a king, and she went against her father's wishes. Firstly, when she heard a baby cry, something was roused in her and she saw his potential and saved him. And I would like to think that that's, that's my life's mission, to recognize human fragility and show people what they are capable of, what they can bring into the world, how they can emerge and grow. 
I love that because we all have a gift that we are here with and we need to share those gifts with the world. It is our, I want to say, responsibility to share our gifts with the world in order to benefit others out there in the world. Absolutely. It's our duty. I, I think we're obligated to do that. That's part of why we're here. I agree. Bev, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Maybe slow down a little bit. There's no running anywhere. You know, just be happy where you are right now. This is exactly where you're supposed to be. I love that. Lastly, Bev, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? To remember to hold yourself with your human flaws compassionately and kindly and be forgiving. Love it. Bev, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today and sharing a little bit about your journey and your story and the beautiful light that you put out into the world with the beautiful work that you do helping others. I appreciate this time with you and I'm so grateful to have you as a member of the Empowerography community and just grateful to be connected with you. Thank you so much for a beautiful conversation. Thank you, Brad, for this time. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Bev Joy Ehrlich. She is a relationship coach. Thank you so much, Bev. I hope you have a wonderful and beautiful rest of the day. You too. Thank you, Brad. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca. Follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.